0: Hi there. I'm Michael Marvash, and this is The Dead Man's Forest, a weekly, well, mostly weekly, conversation about existence and meaning and the life lessons that we all gather, and how those can be shared with others. This week, I will be sharing with you a conversation that I had with Nancy Buffington. A remarkable and unique woman that I had the pleasure to meet a few years ago while I was in search of mentors for some of the projects in my own life. I'll let her introduce herself and what she's up to in just a few minutes. But first, let me say that doing a podcast is an endless learning experience And there are a great many mistakes that you can make. The audio recording of my conversation with Nancy was done on her end, which means that my audio is a little quiet and hers was a little loud. I tried to balance things out as best I could, so I hope the result is reasonably acceptable. And of course, lesson learned for next time. So, without further ado, here is my conversation with Nancy Buffington. Let me start by uh, thanking you for having the conversation with me, and um, I, I, I thought to ask you to come on the hmm. podcast because you're always doing so many things, <laughs> and <laughs> you've been so generous. So
1: many. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, can you uh, remind? me at least what those things are
1: sure let me let me count the ways uh and see if i get them all you know my full-time job that pays at least most of the bills uh as well as they can as well as it can i'm a public speaking trainer and coach and so i work with individuals and organizations with you know every element of public speaking and some elements of communication defined more broadly also I am part of the organization also called Next Level Women Leaders and I helped co-found that. That's a group of four women trainers from different areas of expertise and we run at the moment two day trainings for women at all levels of professional background from all kinds of different industries. From values, vision, how to speak, how to write and how to dress and how to, how to present yourself. Um, physically in public, like how to um, attain a sense of presence and, and effective body language. I am also um, one of the founding members of Boise. That's one of the local branches, locally organized branches of TED Talks. We're going into our fifth year. I am um, I'm the only one of the team who's been there for the whole five years. I'm on the board. I do a lot of the coaching still and held the license for one year. And I guess the last big project is I am lead singer in a soul band called The Soulmates here in Boise. And that's really been taking off in a great way. So all those things give me great joy and deprive me of a whole lot of sleep.
0: Sweet. Um, yeah. So uh, those things may come back into the conversation yep. as it moves forward or they may not. Um, but the. Okay. The 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 question that I want to ask you, and the reason I thought of you, is because you are involved in lots of things. Mm-hmm. Be very very deliberate about uh, taking action to to do things in your life rather than just kind of life let life happen to you. Life ah, is, is something that happens. And so, let me really quickly tell you the story of the Dead Man's Forest, and then ask you the question that. I'm going to use to start off our conversation. Okay. Dead Man's Forest is the name of my podcast, and the name came from a vision that I had while I was on a a vision fast in Death Valley earlier this year. Um, And I saw a, in in, a dream, I saw a dead man sitting in this blasted wasteland. There was just nothing living. It was just gray and brown and lifeless. He was sitting there in a chair, almost as if he'd been dropped in the middle of it. Huh. And growing out of his, out of the, the neck of his sweater, out of his head and his heart, instead of a neck, a human neck and head, was a tiny forest that was green and alive and vibrant. And it was the only living thing in this entire scene. And I woke up from this dream, and I immediately knew that it was a warning to me that... In inside of me, in my head and in my heart, is this is all of this wisdom and knowledge and, and life lessons that I have had based on the unique experiences that I have had. But someday I'm going to die, and if I don't share those, if I don't spread the seeds of those things that I have learned, I will die in a wasteland. But I have a chance to spread them to 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 die in a forest where I have shared, and maybe someone has had a chance to benefit from those things. And shortly after that, I realized that that's true for all of us. We all have a a completely unique set of experiences and life lessons, and all of us have unique wisdom and knowledge that um, we can choose to share or we can choose to keep inside of ourselves. And Mm -hmm. so my question for you in, in this context, Nancy, is what are some of those lessons that uh, you have learned from your life that are really important to you right now that you think uh, that you might want to share, and, you know, that's a starting point for diving in, too.
1: Yeah. That. Yeah. Well, I'll start by saying, what an amazing dream. That's incredible. I, I love dreams. I feel like dreams for me are my cable TV and... uh it's just the best entertainment and greatest source of insight and knowledge and direction that there is if you pay attention to them and, and uh, act upon them when you feel the need, you know, and the urgency. I, you know, that opens up a whole lot of things. And of course, it's to me a three-dimensional kind of thought process. And yet, I can only say one word at a time. So let me shoot some probably messy stuff at you. One of the things, actually, let me start there. One of the things that I have learned to really embrace and even seek out is the idea of messiness. And, you know, I was a, when I think back to when I was young, you know, it was the mids, well, I was born in the mid-60s. So I remember the late 60s, grew up in Santa Fe, New Mexico with, like, hippies and Hare Krishnas and, um, Tai Chi and artists and drug dealers and the whole mess and wonderfulness that was that era, especially in that time. And yet, as I got a little bit older and more, well, we left Santa Fe for one thing and, you know, got farther into school and found out that I was smart. Um, and that's not a good thing for girls to do. I shut absolutely down. And became completely silent in class and silent in many ways, had one or two friends at a time. And that kind of probably led me into the field that I, my first career, which uh, I was an English professor for 20 some years. And that worked great because I could read and read and be (laughs) quiet and then pass on, you know, knowledge to other introverts. And the world seemed safe and controlled. And yet, my world also seemed um, very empty and I didn't understand that. And I didn't want to go there because, you know, why disrupt disruption sounded terrifying to me and that there was no end to it. I remember standing in the shower uh, 10 years ago or something and just, I didn't even have enough energy to cry, but just this very, deep sense of absence and a sense that if I started to go down the path of figuring out what was wrong, the path would be never ending. Like I, it would just be down, 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 down because it was so deep and a range of things helped me get through that. Of course, I'm still on that journey, but one would be actually the seeds for getting through that were planted before that when I um. My last few years of teaching, when I was at Stanford, um, the great thing about, well, the the terrible thing about the teaching that I did at Stanford is that uh, in my program, and it was not a tenure track program, so it was um, not it was a prestigious place, but not the most prestigious position um, or future. uh, I had to teach required classes, writing classes, to freshmen and sophomores, and there was a fairly set curriculum that I had actually helped create. And so that was the downside. The, the, the great side was that within that set curriculum, we were free as the instructors to create any theme for the class that we wanted. And so that started to pull out my inner Santa Fe rebelliousness that hadn't been active for decades. And I became fascinated with first horror movies, and I used to be terrified of anything scary, remotely scary. <laughs> um, And then, because that was actually related to my graduate student work, was the study of horror. Um, And then I got fascinated by freak shows within horror movies, and then that translated into an obsession with the circus and festivals. And so I created a course that I taught for at least four years at Stanford called The Rhetoric of Carnival. And that was a turning point in my life, even though I was still... um, within academia, because it's this embracing of mess and this pushback against order and control and inversions, up becomes down, down becomes up, right, left, inside out, etc. And in working with that, not only, you know, there's the history of it, it's a very intellectual thing, but when you really go deep with those kinds of ideas, it it can change you as a person. It did for me and it did for many of my students. So anyway, the sense of of messiness. And at that point, after teaching that for four years, I went, you know, I think I'm done with academia because this control thing is really not working out for me. And so my ex-husband got a job in Boise where we now live. I said, yeah, I'm kind of done. They didn't have a job for me. So I'll just go figure things out and start my own business and get my life back. So the whole move out of academia and away from the Bay Area involved getting my life back and embracing that mess. So we took huge pay cuts. You know, that was, of course, very stressful. But just I think that sense of when I mentioned that moment in the shower or a feeling there was this unending emptiness and darkness and depth, if I let anything go, has become this Sense instead of this very exhilarating free, free fall. <laughs> yeah. And so mess, falling, um, pivoting, realizing that you have, that I have, like you, um, great wisdom that comes from areas that I, I didn't know I was gathering wisdom and knowledge and strength in those areas. I didn't feel it at the time. I didn't know where I was. I thought I was going one direction with it. And looking back now, just at this particular moment in my journey, and I look back at the things I thought I was doing. I did those things, but now they've come together in really, really different and exciting, and sometimes messy ways. But that have given me my life back, actually.
0: And so it sounds. I mean, you are, of course, such an articulate person. <laughs> oh, thank
1: you. Sometimes.
0: <laughs> yeah, the story really comes together well. Um, mm. So as I think about what to ask you next, I think what's really occurring to me is, first I'm going to check my understanding. It sounds to me like that that mess that, you, that either was injected or that you chose to embrace into your life mm-hmm. ended up being a way for you to discover almost accidentally some of the things that were more meaningful to you than the things that were filling your life up to that point.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: And so when you say what you said, uh, take my life back, can you talk more about what you mean by that or, or what that felt like?
1: I will do my best, yes. Um, I My memory, and it feels like a distant, sad memory now of, you know, from being aged. 12 to probably 45 is of. I think, unfortunately, one that's common to many women, and I'm sure some men, which is you you, you react rather than respond. You there's no center. Um, what's that poem? Uh, the center cannot hold. Falcon cannot feel the falcon, falconer. The center cannot hold. Uh, that's Ezra Pound, I think, um, Easter 1916, and and the sense that there is no center there. There is no there there, right? And so just reacting to what I sensed anyone needed or wanted of me, and there wasn't any sense of ownership or agency in the middle of that. So so because that's not a very fun place to be, I experienced very little emotion. What I experienced, my memory of what I experienced is repression. Um, a lot of numbness emotionally, a lot of numbness physically. Um, when I think back now about the world of academia, I'm overgeneralizing and I'm like a recovering academic, right, so I probably am harder on it than I need to be, but I'll just go ahead and do it. And that has to do with, uh, you know, what happens to you as a human being when you really live through your head, almost exclusively? And anything else that you do is to feed the head. <laughs> you eat just in order to have energy to do your research. You know, you walk from class to class. You you know, everything is just um, centered around fueling that brain machine that you are. And I don't know if you remember Sir Ken Ro- Robinson's uh, yeah, um, TED Talk, one of the early ones about um, schools and children and creativity he makes this funny joke about, to me, which is funny, about academics and how they're just all head and their bodies just exist to get them from meeting to meeting. Yeah. And I, that hit me so hard when I saw that. Of course, I was already out of academia at that point. So this real, this, this feeling of, I mean, I was just, I was an empty shell, you know, and when you are in that place, you you can't afford to feel things, and you can't afford to process them because if you do, the whole thing's gonna fall apart.
0: <laughs> yeah, and hearing you say that, uh, I think gives me a new context for un- context for understanding your your story about when you were standing in the shower. Because now I'm i uh-huh. sensing that just uh, almost bottomless numbness that you mm-hmm. were feeling. That you're like, oh, s- something is missing from my life. Yes didn't know. What yes. Happened. And you're like, "Well, I got to go out and find it."
1: <laughs> yeah. And and it's hard when you, well, it's hard for anybody to do that. It's terrifying because you don't know what you're going to find yeah. or where it'll take you and what will have to fall apart in the meantime, right? Because when when you create this orderly little little system of a life and you have a PhD and you've taught at great places and you have what looks to be a wonderful, perfect marriage and wonderful, perfect children. And it's all carefully curated and carefully tended, um, as I realize now to please others, um, to, to really work externally. You realize something's got to give. And when these, when the glue starts to, 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 to melt or to loosen its hold, you don't know what it's going to be on the other side. And there, there's a lot of, it feels like there's so much at stake. It feels like your life is at stake. Yeah. And what I realize now is my life was at stake, and and uh, I kind of saved it. <laughs> yeah. But it wasn't without pain, and it wasn't without um, hurting others, and it wasn't without a lot of whew, um just a lot of work, I would say.
0: Sure. Yeah, work on yourself and on you. yeah, that's that's really a, a powerful story, I think.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Um, so
0: it's funny how the things that we learn are often stated very simply, but only come after years and years and years of struggle. And it sounds like maybe a way to uh, summarize what you've been talking about is that if you're feeling, you know, that the, the, your life lesson that you want to share is, if you're feeling like you've been boxed in and you're not, Enjoying your life, or if you're numb to life, then injecting a little bit of messiness in your life, or play, or doing something that you don't know what the result is going to be, a mm-hmm. good way to maybe discover what what will bring joy to you. Is that a good mm-hmm. way of saying it? You can correct me, because I'm just spitballing here.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, that, works, that works really well. And to know that to know and accept that it, it, that whatever happens is fine. You know, it's kind of a, do the Buddhist non-attachment from outcome yeah. and, and trust yourself and trust the process and you're going to be fine. You're going to be safe. You know, um, I mean, I finally had to ask the question, like what's more important, you know, this life that I am part of right now or my life. <laughs> like, actually, why are you put on the planet? You know, um, part of I'll, I'll say because we have a few minutes, I'll say a couple things that led me to this. Um, one was uh, getting being one phone call away about, oh, maybe five years ago from a breast cancer diagnosis. So I've gone through, you know, all the 3D mammograms and I'd gone through the biopsy. And, and I was waiting for that phone call where the doctor was going to say you have cancer or you're home free. And luckily I was, it was the home free call and that was wonderful, but it was a huge unexpected gift to me because it just ripped that veil of all those illusory stupid things in life, <laughs> um, away from me and gave me like, wow, okay, so, you know, I'm not super young and also I may die <laughs> sooner than I thought. And is this how I want to live before I die? And I went, oh, hell no. Like, no, 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 no. So that instantly gave me huge clarity. The other was getting physically active. Um, I do a, I'm involved in a dance called Nia, uh, which started in California, but it's all taught all around the world. It's fairly under the radar, but it is kind of a fusion of, um, well, a fusion of nine different movement forms, but it's, 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 um, sometimes I call it aerobic meditation because there is this meditative self-reflective quality, um, always to it. And yet you're dancing and you're having fun and people don't care if you're doing it right or doing it wrong because it's all about you and, and your body and a lot of creativity to it. And that was it. Was life changing for me? It absolutely was because then I started feeling my body, and when I started feeling my body, I went, "Oh my goodness!" Like, I if this is what's going on, I need to act. Um, but knowing that it's it's not easy. I mean, my my journey involved getting a divorce, yeah. and then becoming a, a you know a single mom with one mortgage to pay and or you know pay pay on my own and. Working for myself is wonderful and freeing, and I take any direction I want. But sometimes I have trouble paying that mortgage, and then sometimes I don't. And learning to live with and even embrace the anxiety that comes with a lot of this. Um, There's a wonderful TED um, coach who's also an, an actor, and I went to her session on play at an international TED event. And her one of the things that she says that she borrowed from someone else is the phrase, "Follow the fear," and we spend so much of our lives insulating ourselves from fear and running from the fear and If you can just turn you know, stop and turn and pause and face it and go, "Hey, let me see what you 're all about. Let me be curious about you. What do I have to learn from you?" Even though, I'm not lying, it is painful. Um, that's where life really is, is following the fear. And uh, you don't have to follow abject fear, but, you know, what am I... What's Your fear is the thing that's boxing you in. Yeah.
0: that's a It's a mythological concept. Joseph Campbell mentions it. In, in, in the cave that you most fear to enter is the treasure that you seek.
1: Yes. Yes, exactly. Right.
0: I'm going to interrupt the conversation right here because... This is the normal length of an episode of Dead Man's Forest, and I don't want to disrupt anyone's plans or expectations for listening. Nancy and I go on to talk for another 20 minutes specifically about her fears and the role that those have played in the development of her philosophy. And then she shares some last thoughts about impactful experiences, about her father's death, and about how she's going to integrate some of these lessons that she's learned into her plans for the future. So I hope you'll join us next week to hear the rest of my conversation with Nancy Buffington. If you want to find out more information about her, you can check out her website NancyBuffington.net. There are no surprise spellings in that. Nancy is N-A-N-C-Y and Buffington is B-U-F-F-I-N-G-T-O-N, nancybuffington.net. As always, if you would like to participate in the conversation, please feel free to drop by my website, deadmansforest.org, and fill out the contact form at the bottom. Thank you for listening, and I hope you will rejoin us next week for the conclusion of my
1: conversation with Nancy Buffington. Thanks. Bye-bye.